As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's Straight Outta Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, Saints stunned as Blues hit them for six on the South Coast. We look ahead to the second leg of the Champions League quarterfinal and round up the rest of the Chelsea news. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Outta Cobham. better hey listen crisis what crisis etc uh, here we are back again for the first of our bi-weekly deep dives into the world of chelsea football club i'm matt davis adams joined today by the athletics dominic fifield hi dom good morning matt how you doing i'm all right thank you uh, later on we're going to chat to alvaro romeo about the upcoming champions league quarterfinal second leg but first let's reflect on saturday's sensational scoreline at st mary's Mount just got away from him, Bednarek, but uh, Salisu didn't really deal with it. Loftus cheek square, and Werner's now hit the bar. Well, there's only three bits of woodwork in Southampton's goal, and Timo Werner's hit two of them. We've only played six minutes. Well, if he hits the other post, he might be able to take the whole goal home. Is Kovacic, Rudiger, Alonso's in. If Rudiger can find him, and he has, Marcus Alonso. Pulisic and Werner in the middle. Christian Pulisic, brilliant save. Werner hasn't scored, but Mount has, and it's six. Well, I'm afraid this is getting very, very embarrassing indeed for Southampton. Everybody was very focused to, to fulfill the plan, for focus, but, but to live up to the plan. And, and this is always the most important, how we play it. And today we played it with concentration, with commitment, with hunger. And, and of course, also with quality, but, but the things around quality were there to the highest level and made the difference. Southampton nil, Chelsea six then. The Blues emphatically ending that rubbish two-game spell with a stunning win on the South Coast. Uh, Dom, you were there. I don't think the game panned out as any of us were expecting. No, no, but there was that, that brief glimpse, I think, 98 seconds into the, the match when Antonio Rudiger played a blind back pass straight out of play for a corner where you thought, wow, um, Chelsea do look a bit rattled still. But then, you know, 31 minutes in when you've hit the woodwork three times, um, forced Forster into a couple of 
absolutely blinding saves, missed a couple of good chances, and yet still also scored five goals. Um, that, or four goals, rather, at that point, wasn't it? That's, uh, not, yeah, not a bad start. Not a bad start to a, to a match and a, and, a, and a good recovery, a good response to, to all the meetings and the, the chocolate consumed last week. I think it's fair to say that Southampton had the, the flip-flops and sombreros on, but still, I feel like this this has maybe ended any debate as to what the best formation for Chelsea to play in is. You know, even if you're putting round pegs in square holes, 3-4-3 three, three seems to be much better than, than four at the back. Yeah, I agree with that. And they've always looked more comfortable with, with three. It, it, it helps Thiago Silva in particular in, in the middle of that back line with some energy around him. Um and on an occasion like this, where you're basically, <laughs> you've got two wing backs who, whose instincts are all forward thinking. I mean, bearing in mind that Ruben Loftus Cheek was filling in on the, on the right hand side of that in this formation on, on, on Saturday. Marcus Alonso, obviously, his, his strengths are always going forward, never at the back. Um, it, it, it just suited them. But yeah, you're right. Southampton have completely stopped playing of late. Um, I was talking to our, our Southampton correspondent, Dan Sheldon, and I, I've watched Southampton a few times this season. And I've been really, really impressed with them. They're really energetic. They press, they press feverishly when, when they're on song and they, they've got a real strength of them. And, and maybe Broha is a, is a major part of that. Obviously he couldn't play against Chelsea, but also they're safe. They have nothing to play for. Their season is petering out in mid table. And Dan was saying that the previous few games have been like that. And and this was a... <laughs> there was a point, actually, after 54 minutes, where he did turn to me and said, oh, no, this is turning into another one of those, uh, the inside story of the latest 9-0, um, which we don't need at all. Um, I mean, 6-0 six, six after 54 minutes. And, and quite frankly, Chelsea could have had 12 at that point. Uh, yeah, I was doing the commentary for Chelsea TV with with Jason Cundy. He was he was fevered by the time the fourth goal went in. He said, There's never been a ten nil in the Premier League. There's never been a ten nil in the Premier League. It's going to happen today. Uh, it probably could have as well. Uh, if we drill down on some of the individual performances, we'll get to Timo Werner shortly because he was the subject of your post match piece. But but Ruben Loftus wing back. I mean that almost felt like like taking the Mickey out of Southampton a bit. But then you heard Thomas Tuchel's explanation afterwards, where he said he wanted him to kind of be like an inverted number eight at times as well, and. He, it wasn't just that he was bombing down the right wing in a, in a Reese James type fashion, but I mean, he couldn't have asked for a better first game to, to try this latest position. No, and I, look, a lot of this is going to have to come caveated with it will never be this easy again, ever. Um, he he did do really well in the position though. And he, he those the first few crosses that Chelsea pinged in from the right were were excellent, one of which was inexplicably headed against the bar by Timo Werner when it seemed far easier to score. Um and, and Loftus Cheek just found some rhythm in, in in that role, but he wasn't he wasn't challenged. He wasn't up against anything. There was no one closing him down. There was no one to really cause him any problems defensively either. So he could meander infield. He 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 could he could basically play Chelsea basically just played three at the back, and and everybody else was piling forward into midfield and 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 in forward areas, and it was, it was all far too simple. But but it was nice, still nice to see. Look, I'm I'm one of these people that's that's always going to to back Ruben Loftus Cheek to prove his quality because he's he's such a a brilliant player when he gets up ahead of steam. Uh, he's got you just look at him; he's so imposing, so physically imposing. The irony being that he has been let down by his body um, over the course of his career. Um, 
But when he's on song, I still think he can offer Chelsea so much. He could offer a lot of teams in the Premier League so much. He is very much a Premier League player. Um, and, you know, if, if ever if ever the point came where he decided that he wanted a more regular involvement and decided to push for a move, there would be countless number of, of Premier League teams that would go for him because he's he's got all the qualities. But he, he wants to succeed at Chelsea. And I think performances like that just, just offer a little reminder now and again of, of what he can do um, and his versatility because... I mean, he's played as a 10, he's played as a 6, he's played as an 8, and now he's played as a wing-back. So, um, so oh, he's played at centre-half as well, obviously. He played as a sweeper a few weeks back. So, yeah, he's a useful person to have around, I'd suggest. Yeah, and that, that versatility, probably not ideal for, for a 26-year-old footballer. But like you say, if he wants to stay at Chelsea, then, then that's going to have to be his calling card, yeah. really, I think. Uh, Werner, then, as we say, you've written about him for The Athletic in your post-match piece. It, it was kind of... The best and worst of Timo Werner. The Leipzig Werner and the Chelsea Werner all in one game, wasn't it? I don't know about you, but I was kind of desperate for him to score after he struck the frame of the goal for the third time in the first half. It just gets difficult to watch after a while. And then he gets it a one-on-one with Jan Bednarek and not only outstrips him for pace, but has the composure to go around Forster and, and actually finish as well. Yeah, but and you know what? The, the Chelsea Timo Werner doesn't score that that chance, actually, um, because he had he had time. To, to think about what he was going to do as he veered into the box. I think there were three touches and the fourth was a finish. Um, but it was, that that was the Leipzig, that was the player that Chelsea thought they were buying. Um, you know, galloping into space, eating up this vast area that was vacated by all of Southampton's uh, defenders um, and and finishing with, with real composure. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose we did see the best of, of, of uh, and the worst of him. Uh, he... There's this is wonderfully chaotic feel to everything that he does, um, and even when he was smacking ball shots against the the woodwork in that in that opening half hour, it was it was absolutely entrancing to watch. You just had you couldn't take your eyes off him because he was so. I mean, I want to say unpredictable, but I think we've seen enough of that over his time at Chelsea or the missed chances. But it's actually worth looking at his reaction as the. In the in the thirty first minute, where they where he 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 wriggles across the box away from a couple of I think it was Romeo and and Carl uh, Walker Peters, and then I mean he has to score. He just has to side foot it into the goal, and he he smashes it against the post. And his 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 shoulders almost they hunch so much, they sort of slump so much, they almost go in on themselves. And then Havertz obviously taps in the rebound, and he's he's all smiled again. And that. That was actually one of the first times we actually saw him smile all afternoon. And at that point, he's hit both posts, the crossbar. He scored an absolutely brilliant goal. He's he's forced Forster into a quite remarkable save with his outstretched right glove from point blank range from Marcus Alonso's little flick over the over the fullback. Um, and you just think everything is going through him. He's absolutely mesmeric to watch. You just you can't take your eyes off him. He's but. But it's chaos. It's sheer chaos. It's pantomime chaos. It's comedy sometimes. And look, that's as, as Thomas Tuchel said, and, and the, the piece made clear. That's the whole scenario. The way Southampton played, um, the absolutely laughable nature of their high line was just inviting Timo Werner to run riot. And it's no surprise that the majority of his Premier League goals have come against Southampton when they, they play in this way. I mean, I think it's, he scored nine and five of them are coming against Southampton now. So um, it's not going to be like that at the Bernabeu. 
Um, he's he's not going to have any space to run in there if he plays. Which which almost trying to tease out a line from Tuchel to to say that to confirm that yeah he'll he'll go with confidence to Spain, but he's not going to be playing because it will be Havertz, it will be Ziyech, it will be Mount um, in that in those three roles. And I mean, I'm tr- trying to picture the scenario where you would actually get Timo Werner onto the pitch and and playing to his strengths in Spain, and it's probably. Only when Chelsea are 2-0 up in the game and Real Madrid panic and start piling forward. And then suddenly there may be a few spaces opening out for him to, to run into. But look, it, you had to feel happy for him because that smile had come back after after his two goals and and, and the shot of the last shot against the post, which Havertz converts. But, but uh, you know... What it what it changes in the long run, I'm I'm not sure very much to be honest, because he's he's still a player that's going to need eight chances to score two goals. He's got such a sympathetic face, though, hasn't he? Yeah, that's he has, why yeah. Chelsea supporters are so taken <laughs> with him because you live the anguish with him every yeah. time he misses. And he is a cult figure. I mean, it shouldn't be ignored that the Chelsea supporters in the ground were, were bellowing his name. Really, from the you know ten minutes in, once it became clear that this was he was going to be the star turn of this performance, um, they 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 back him all the way, and it's yeah, it's a cult nature of it. Um, unfortunately, you know that forty-seven million pounds, and and when you have other forwards on the books who might offer you a bit more consistency, that might mean that he's also he's another one of these players that's going to be living on the periphery if he if he remains at the club. Yeah, and the contrast between him and Havertz, I think nicely summed up by the Havertz goal. But, you know, you've got Werner running around, absolutely <laughs> trying his absolute best all the time, but sometimes tripping over his own feet. Havertz pirouetting over the ball in the first half and then <laughs> Werner doing his best to score, hitting the post and Havertz so nonchalantly just kicking in. Uh, the ball goes in net. This is how you do it. What's all the fuss about? That, that He had it <laughs> written all over his face, didn't he? It? it was absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, what about Mason Mount? I thought this was one of his best games in a while because he did that thing where he combines his sort of tireless industry with the quality on the ball to go with it. He was outstanding. And again, again, Tuchel had, had, had picked a, a slightly tweaked uh, forward formation uh, to bring the best out of him against Southampton in that, that Havertz and Werner split effectively and were playing wide as strikers. And that allowed Mason Mount to operate as a 10 um, and he found himself countless times free on the edge of the box. I mean, the, his first goal was was a thing of beauty. The the way he connects with the half volley, absolutely glorious. Um, but he 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 just they never got anywhere close to him. Southampton they they didn't know what to do with him at all. He was he was unplayable, and you know he he was he's he's there when when Werner can't can't finish off the the sixth goal as well, just tapping it into the. Into the empty net, he he's he, he's his his number of goals and assists this season just keeps going up and up and up and up. Um, it's almost gone up unnoticed in many ways. I mean, he, he's he's right up there in terms of in terms of goal contributions this season. Um, and he just he was a player that I think agonised quite a lot after Real Madrid last week. We we, we heard all about Thomas Tuchel and um, his staying up all night rewatching the games. Uh, the game again and, and eating his chocolate and, and just trying trying to, to come to terms with what had happened. I suspect that, that Mason Mount did the same. Um and he's he sort of he, he his his quest for self improvement for, for being as best as good as he possibly can drives him to do that. And 
and when he talked post-match uh, at St Mary's, it was all about how this was an outpouring of frustration. This 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 thrashing they'd handed out on Southampton was was born of the defeats to Brentford and and Real Madrid. And Chelsea wanted to show, you know, be more recognisable for what they are. And that performance was was Mason Mount at, at the very very top of his game. He was allowed to do it, obviously, like Timo Werner was by Southampton's in, incompetence, really. But he was still outstanding, and that perhaps more than than Werner is is a significant factor going to Madrid because you've got a player now who's integral to what you're doing. He will play in the first team and he's playing at the top of his game again. So hopefully he can now t- carry some of this form into the into the Real game and, and, and hurt Real Madrid. Yeah, and always good for him to get his customary goal at St Mary's as a boyhood Portsmouth fan, <laughs> of course. Um, Thomas Ducal said, we're not a fancy team who solve things by pure talent. We're a hard-working team. Uh, that's either a low-key dig or, or the penny dropping for him. I'm, I'm not quite sure which, but you can you can see what he means, can't you? It's it's, it's a softer way of saying to his team that they, they can't just rely on talent. It has to be work rate too. Well, and it was all about going back again. They can't, they can't play at 80%. They can't play at 90% and expect to to win games um, in the Premier League, in the FA Cup, and certainly in the Champions League. And I think last week showed that. Um, but when they bring their A game, they bring their focus, they bring their the concentration levels and the intensity that he wants, they can be unplayable, um, particularly if, if the opponent isn't quite at it. Um, and, you know, this... Regardless of what happens in Spain, they, they've set a standard of performance there in the Premier League, which should carry them through domestically. They should they should carry that into the FA Cup semi final next weekend, and into their remaining Premier League fixtures, just to just to ensure they they end the season a difficult season. What's ended up as quite a, a tricky time off the pitch, they end it on a high on the pitch. Um, and you know you never know there may be there may be more silverware to come, but. The players recognise this, I'm sure, and, and that made those two blips against and against Brentford and Real Madrid in the manner of those performances so unexpected. That's that's why I think they shocked Tuchel to his core. Really, he hadn't been used to seeing his his players allow standards to slip that dramatically. Well, you know, they've restored them pretty emphatically with that win at St Mary's. Surely have, and it's a while until the Blues are back in Premier League action, not until the 20th of April when they face Arsenal at Stamford Bridge. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
In terms of the takeover, not much new to report other than the fact that Mark Walter, who is the principal owner of the LA Dodgers baseball team, has joined the Todd Bowley bid. Uh, Walter, who has a real-time net worth of $4.4 billion, according to Forbes, puts the Bowley group on an even stronger financial footing. Um, it's interesting, this, Dom, isn't it? Everybody's kind of just putting the last touches to their final, final bids for later this week. Do you, do you think that the addition of Walter to the Burley bid is, is going to add anything to their case other than purely financial? I guess he's got the nous of running a, a successful sporting franchise, as, as he would call it. <laughs> it's, it's not going to do any harm, is it? I mean, having having another $4.4 billion um, potentially available. I mean, we, we, we mustn't get blinded by these figures all the time. They're not putting this money into Chelsea. This is just what they're, they're worth. And a lot of these guys are... are are quite canny with how they use their money, and uh, I mean, a prime example actually. And I'll I'll, I'll stray onto uh, familiar territory for me. Two of the bidders, Josh Harris and David Blitzer, are billionaires in their own right. They bought into Crystal Palace in December 2015. It's not as if Crystal Palace have been going out and spending 20 million pounds on players very regularly in the period since. They that's almost like safety net money, you know. If 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 other investors pull out, then there is this money here that can come in and make sure that the club maintains an even keel or continues to be ambitious, whatever you, however you want to uh, dictate it, really. Um, and it seems that if all of the Chelsea bidders have, have, have got this to a certain extent, and yeah, as you say, that they're, they're all putting their finishing touches ahead of the deadline that's been pushed back to th- Thursday, we believe, although it, it all feels very loose in, in, in that sense. Um, and it, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, if, if the... The Ricketts beard and the, the Broughton beard and, and the Paliuka beard have also been doing this on the quiet as well. And they've actually got a lot of investors, perhaps even some of the guys that, that you know, sounded out the, the chance to buy Chelsea in the original round of, of talks. Maybe they've joined some of these 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 guys as partners and uh, will be there as part of the consortium that takes over. It, it, whatever happens, it's going to be a very different ownership structure. We, we, we've grown use over the years used over the years to, to Abramovich being the be-all and end-all, one man at the top of the club, um, his money being spent, his decisions. It's not going to be like that anymore. There's going to be some kind of um, percentage structure involved with a, with a lot of billionaires or businessmen or, or or figureheads. I mean, you know, Sir Martin Broughton isn't going to be pumping his money into this. Seb Coe wouldn't be if, they, if their bid was, was successful. Um, so... The nature of the ownership of Chelsea is going to change. It's going to be different, and to have to have extra billionaires, you know, backing you and on within the consortium is only going to be beneficial for for the Bowley bid or for for whichever bid this is, is putting these guys together. Um, we'll just have to see. It was. It's, we keep getting told it's not all about the money. It's about the vision as well. Um, let's see this time next week whether that's still the case. Uh, David Ornstein reporting in his Monday column for The Athletic that uh, every bidder would like Marina Granovskaya to remain at Chelsea. We'll see with that. You, you mentioned Roman Abramovich there, Dom. Some reports last night of him being interested in buying Valencia. This, to me, sounds like the kind of tabloid tittle-tattle that would never make its way to The Athletic. I mean, he's got bigger issues on his plate at the moment than trying to buy another football club, hasn't he? I mean, he needs to sell one, first of all. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the reports were suggesting that it would only ever happen um, well after the sale of Chelsea was completed. And, and indeed, 
he, he's going to have to take stock and see what his 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 net worth is when 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 everything is 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 done and dusted and 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 presumably when the conflict in Ukraine is 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 over as well. Um, I'm not sure that the current owners of Valencia would necessarily be wanting to to sell at the moment anyway. Um, so we shouldn't get too ahead of ourselves on that. On the on the Marina Granaskaya thing, it, it's completely understandable that that the four bidders would all want her to stay, given that she's done a very, very good job at Chelsea over a period of time. She's got a very good reputation within the game. But I do wonder whether she's just too closely associated with Roman Abramovich, really. Um, it, would, it would surprise me uh, if she if she did stay. Um, I can see Petr Cech remaining in place, um, but but Granovskaya is it's hand in hand with Abramovich, and that's she's worked with him from the Sibnev days. So it's uh, it would be that would be surprising if that link was maintained. Yeah, I guess she also probably won't enjoy the same kind of autonomy that she has done uh, under Abramovich under the next owner. Uh, also, listener, as we were recording, Sky are reporting that Larry Tenenbaum and Eduardo Savarin, Tenenbaum is the chairman of the NBA Basketball League and Savarin is the Facebook co-founder, they're understood to have agreed to back Stephen Pagliuca's multi-million pound bid to take over Chelsea. Um, I, Dom, I guess there's some. This is slightly interesting, not least because of the characters involved. You know, somebody high-ranking in the NBA and and somebody from from Facebook, at least at the start. But we don't hear much about the Pagliuca bit at all, do we? Or we haven't so far. So this is interesting, just in terms of it's a nugget of news from this particular interested party who's remained silent. Absolutely, uh, part of me thinks that Pagliuca is probably playing by the book. And and respecting various NDAs that are in place, um, and that's why we haven't heard very much from him. But it's it, you know, as as a media organisation, that's an absolute disgrace and shouldn't be allowed. Um, and I think that the fan base obviously are, are, are desperate for for news as to who who these various backers and and, and groups are as well. So um, there has been an element of frustration about that, and it's maybe counted against him in terms of the. Um, the backing of the the supporters, possibly, um, but you know stuff like this, and, and that piece also mentions um, John Burbank, the uh, founder of a, a hedge fund in San Francisco called Passport Capital, um, as as being involved as well. So I mean, it's 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 creeping out, it's creeping out towards the deadline, and and I suspect that as as that deadline passes on Thursday, we will know exactly who is backing which bid, uh, who is involved with which bid, and then we can all be mock outraged on Monday when uh, when the choice is made by by rain and and uh, they uh, they line up their preferred bidder status at the athletic will be right on top of that head to the athletic.com slash Chelsea pod to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber it would only cost you a pound a month for the first six months okay back to the football next then specifically the Champions League salvage job in the Spanish capital Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? 
we've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. So, on Tuesday night, Chelsea visit the Bernabeu for the first time ever looking to overcome the odds and overturn a 3-1 deficit from last week's Champions League quarterfinal first leg. Joining us once again is Alvaro Romeo from TalkSport International and the Totally Football Show European Edition. Um, Alvaro, what, what was the reaction in Spain to, to the first leg win? Was it all about praise of Madrid's performance or, or was there some criticism of Chelsea's? No, I think that the... the... The conclusions that they got, uh, they were pretty one-sided. Uh, there was not heavy criticism for Thomas Tuchel, and uh, I would say that the 99.9% of the Plaudits uh, went to Real Madrid for the game they did, and especially for Karim Benzema. Of course, we started hearing again um, claims for Karim Benzema to win the Ballon d'Or and blah, 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 after scoring three goals. But generally speaking, it was a very solid performance from Real Madrid, and I think that the Spanish media just uh, reflected that. And also, there was a little bit of a feeling of... Uh, maybe surprise because uh, after what happened in El Clásico there was that, that this fear that Real Madrid maybe in the competitive games they didn't have the enough cutting edge but yeah um, it was very comforting generally speaking for Madrid fans and Madrid uh, media outlets to see that Real Madrid was uh, competitive against Chelsea and yes they are set to qualify for the semi-finals or at least it looks like that. Uh, like Chelsea Real enjoyed a comfortable league win this weekend and they, they were able to rest a few players as well right? Yes, uh, the, for the first time in a while, uh, Carlo Ancelotti rotated a little bit. For example, Tony Cross didn't play a single minute. Uh, Camavinga played, uh, for instance. Um, I think that it was the right time to rotate because Getafe is not the best team when uh, they travel to Santiago Bernabeu. And Real Madrid got, got a comfortable win. I think that uh, it was this kind of win that uh, didn't um, demand a lot physically from Real Madrid. So they are going to be very fresh uh, for the game against uh, against uh, Chelsea with the only absentee of Eder Militao because he's suspended for the game and this is a key absentee for the game. And uh, let's see if Mendy finally is back or not. He's been training today and I think that finally he's going to be included in the lineup. You mentioned... Militao and his absence there, does that mean there would be any chance at all that we might see Gareth Bale at some point in this game? He came off the bench to a chorus of boos against Atafe. I think that that is not impossible, really, uh, especially because... Uh... Carlo Ancelotti and everyone knows that uh, one of the best attackers in the team is still Gareth Bale. So I wouldn't be surprised if Gareth Bale, uh, you know, ends up having a few minutes, especially if the situation gets a little bit critical and suddenly Real Madrid sees themselves um, themselves having to come back or having to score a goal. Maybe Gareth Bale could have a chance, yes. But yeah, he got booed at Santiago Bernabeu the other day and that was a little bit of um, a bad uh, thing. I had a bad feeling about, about it because he's done so much for Real Madrid that uh, I think that what happened lately shouldn't uh, water down uh, what has been a fantastic career. Um, that 4-0 El Clasico humbling, that, that's the only time in the last 13 games Real have conceded more than once in a match. How much of that is down to Thibaut Courtois and, and how much confidence does that record give them going into Tuesday when, when obviously they, they just need to make sure they don't concede twice? 
Well, I think that that defensive record is remarkable. Mm, I do believe that uh, in El Clásico, everything that could go wrong went wrong. Real Madrid uh, gave many spaces. Uh, Real Madrid uh, didn't uh, run backwards and Barcelona profited from that. Uh, but generally speaking, Real Madrid defense and defensive structure has been really solid, I would say. Um, the defensive duo, Militao of Al and Alaba, uh, have been uh, playing very well with uh, great uh, synchronization between them. But Militao is not ready for this game, which is going to be a shame for Real Madrid. Uh, I think that Mendy playing is key for Real Madrid as well. There is a ridiculous stat that uh, when Mendy plays in the league for Real Madrid, they never lose. And um, this is something that is very telling because he is a player who is offering a lot of uh, defensive security uh, in the left-back position. And then I do believe that one of the keys for Real Madrid uh, to be defensively solid and uh, to attack better, I would say, is to play with the 4-4-2. Because when Fede Valverde is playing, he's offering a certain physicality that makes Benzema, but especially Cross and Luka Modric, look younger. Uh, because Fede Valverde is running a lot for them. So I think that um, that was the key at Stamford Bridge. The fact that Fede Valverde was playing um, and that uh, you know Real Madrid suddenly looked like an energetic team, despite uh, having uh, core veteran players that always play. Uh, last week you told us that Chelsea would win. Presumably you're not making the same <laughs> prediction this time. <laughs> I think Real Madrid are going to qualify. The, this is what I can say. I mean, it's 3-1. Uh, who has overturned a uh, result like this? It doesn't happen very often, of course. So um, I think Real Madrid has to be the favourite for this game. But let's don't forget that what happened at Stamford Bridge the other day it was a display of efficiency by, by Karim Benzema as well, because he had four chances and he scored three goals. But uh, the game was perhaps a little bit more level than the um, scoreline suggests. So I think that during the game there will be spells when Chelsea will believe that they have a chance to qualify. But uh, I still believe that coming back from a 3-1 is a, quite a difficult task for anybody, even for the current European champions. It's going to be a fascinating game, that's for sure. Uh, Alvaro, thank you so much for joining us. We'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. Uh, so, Dom, Thomas Tuchel spoke to the press on Monday morning. He's upgraded Chelsea from having no chance to not the biggest chance. It's unlikely, but it's worth trying, he said. You <laughs> could say that about so so many things in life, couldn't you? Um, he, he did tell us that Romelu Lukaku, Callum Hudson-Odoi is still unavailable, but Cesar Azpilicueta is back in the squad. Um, is Lukaku a miss? I'm not. That's not a loaded question. It's just he's a, he's a different option, if nothing else, isn't he? Yeah, he, yes, he is, and uh, and we saw. I know he missed the chances in the first leg, but he he had those chances in the first leg, and and he obviously gave Real Madrid something different to to think about. And given that their the, their bat line will be different um, at the Bernabeu, that you, you do wonder whether Lukaku might have been well. The potential was there for him to have made a, some kind of difference um, potentially. Uh, obviously, the form hasn't been there consistently all season, but that's a shame. The, the Achilles problem is that, that Tuchel earmarked last Friday, kept him out of Southampton's, keeping him out of this one. The, the other person that's missing the trip, Matt, you don't mention Ross Barkley. Come on. <laughs> yeah, he's ill. Um, it's a shame because he would have lit up the Bernabeu, <laughs> uh, I'm sure. Um, Interesting that Azpilicueta is back in the squad. I mean, he's yeah. returned several negative tests, apparently. Hopefully that stays the same. But but that gives Tuchel a, a real decision to make, doesn't it? Because Rhys James looked woefully short of fitness in the first leg. But he did get on and get, what, half an hour or so at Southampton. Yeah. So who are you playing at right wing back? Not I Ruben, think, presumably. I, <laughs> no. I think if you're, if you're going for it and 
the noises from Tuchel are that they very much are going for it, then then you go with Reese James. Um, I think it's actually more intriguing as to whether you you pick Cesar Azpilicueta at left wing back, um, or or do you go and give Marcus Alonso the chance to to try and hurt Real um, down that flank? Um, it will leave you open. Clearly, it's a risk. You know, there's a risk involved in picking him, but when you're you're going into a game to try and retrieve a two goal deficit, you you, you really have to take that kind of risk. Um, so it may well be that that as Pilicueta, having had having had COVID, and even with the even with the uh, negative test, you don't quite know how you're going to react after a dose of COVID. So uh, it may be that he would start on the on the bench anyway. Um, but there, there are lots of there are lots of decisions to to be made. I mean, you, you imagine they 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 would play the three at the back, um, which would presumably mean Christensen starting in in that back three. You know, having been subbed last week, um, the, the, the the nature of the midfield as well. I mean, it's, it's Kovacic was was superb at Southampton, absolutely superb. He's he's got that that brilliant blend of aggression. He's got a real snarl to his performances, but his class on the ball and his quality and his delivery is something else. So the combination in central midfield, again, is another another area that, that, that Tuchel probably didn't get right last week and has to this time round. Um, N'Golo Conte looked, looked more himself, but it was Southampton. So do you, do you go with Kovacic and, and Conte again, or do you, do you want some kind of control provided by a Jorginho in there? Um, lots of these these questions. I think the only the, the front three is actually the least of the worries, and 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 I you know Havertz through the middle with Mount and and I'd suggest Ziyech would be the would be the three that that would almost demand inclusion um, for this game. But you know I don't think Pulisic has done enough to pulled off enough trees in his recent cameos to 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 warrant an inclusion from the start. But but there are other options there, and Timo Werner is one of them as well. Really interesting, particularly left wing back. I mean, it'd be massive for Marcos Alonso, yeah. wouldn't it? He came through Real Madrid's academy. His, his granddad won five European Cups yeah. with them. It'd be really difficult for him to take, I think, if he uh, if he didn't feature in the match. Um, what have Chelsea got to do? What's the main thing they've got to do differently to what they did in the first leg? I mean, apart from not gift a third goal, I guess they just need to be a bit more efficient in terms of taking chances. Yeah, they they can't be profligate. They they they've got to take the chances that they create. They've got to score first, I think, as well. Um, they they they've got to be more themselves. They've got to, they've got to take what they've got to take the the progress that they they made at Southampton that that restoration of of conviction and 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 the the zest and the aggression that intensity to their approach. They've got to bring all that to. To Spain and and impose it on much better opponents uh, in a much more hostile atmosphere, but they know that this is this is you know this is their defence of the Champions League here now at, at the, in this game this this is it's come down to this go out there and 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 trust in themselves and they they've got the quality to to cause Real Madrid problems they did in that second half last week. Uh, they they were the the team in the ascendancy. But they just given themselves such a mountain to climb in the in the in the game and potentially the tie. But just go out there and and play with that intensity and that belief and and see where it takes you. Eight o'clock kickoff UK time on Tuesday night. Whatever happens, we will react to it in Thursday's show.
Hey, how about this, listener? We've just received a voice note direct from Madrid. It's our friend Liam Toomey, who's arrived in the Spanish capital. Hola, and welcome to Madrid. Uh, you join me in a, in a cafe around the corner from my hotel. We are smack bang in the middle of town, uh, a stone's throw from Plaza Mayor, which those of you who've been to Madrid, I'm sure that will uh, ring a bell. I've never been, so I'm, I'm going to go and check it out after this. Um, and I've just been burying my face in a sandwich while uploading the article, which you can all read on The Athletic tomorrow, um, about Chelsea's pressing, where it went wrong against Real Madrid at Stamford Bridge, where it went right in this city against Madrid a year ago, and, and kind of what Chelsea needs to do for the second leg. And I don't know whether it's the you know, arbitrary clinking of cups and cutlery around me or the, the general Madrid ambiance. Um, but there's a real sense of possibility awakening in my mind about this second leg. Um, it's, it's certainly not coming from, from seeing Chelsea fans milling around. I've, I've seen almost none so far. Um, I wouldn't expect there to be large numbers in the city until tomorrow. That's when things could get interesting, actually, because you see Manchester City are playing Atletico on, on Wednesday. Um, and so we, we could have the, the spectre of Chelsea and Manchester City fans in the same European city for the first time since Porto last summer, which I'm sure is a prospect that the Madrid police are um, absolutely relishing. We'll see how that goes. Hopefully there won't be any trouble. Um, Chelsea players and staff, I think, are a few hours behind me in terms of travelling out here. It's been a bit of a funny one, really, because usually on these away trips, um, they'll fly out to the away city and then do their press conference and train at the stadium in the evening. But instead, um, Thomas Tuchel and Mateo Kovacic spoke at Cobham and then Chelsea trained at Cobham while I was in the air. So I don't really know what to do with myself now, to be honest. Um, I'm probably just going to mill around, walk around the city centre a little bit, try and get some hashtag colour, and maybe try to track down Simon Johnson at some point, because I know he's around here somewhere. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-23s relegation fears exacerbated after they went down 1-0 to Manchester United at Old Trafford on Friday. Alejandro Garnacho got the only goal of the game nine minutes before half-time. Means the Blues are in the drop zone, four points from safety, though they do have a game in hand on Everton, the side immediately above them, and who they play away from home this coming Friday. That's the first of the Blues' final four fixtures this season. Uh, a bad week for the academy sides, made worse when the under-18s followed up their FA Youth Cup semi-final defeat at Forest with a 2-0 home loss against Leicester in the under-18 Premier League South. It means uh, that they are six in the table. Women's team on an international break. Amongst the highlights so far for those on World Cup qualification duty, Millie Bright was captain. Jess Carter also started as England won 10-0 away to North Macedonia, uh, to which Sweden said, hold my beer. Jonna Anderson and Magda Eriksson involved as they beat Georgia 15-0. Anderson scored in that. Uh, Sophie Ingle, captain Wales, to defeat against France. It means they need to win their final three qualifiers to have any chance of making the finals. Anique Newen, part 
of the Netherlands side that hammered Cyprus 12-0. Arsenal striker Vivian Miedemar scored six of those. And meanwhile, Sam Kerr scored a stoppage time winner in a friendly for Australia against New Zealand. 2-1 the score there. And Jessie Fleming also on the score sheet as her Canada beat Nigeria 2-0 in a friendly. Uh, congrats too to Emma Hayes. She's been named the WSL Manager of the Month for March. All right, that'll just about do it for today. Don, what's on your intro for the week, please? Well, I spent my Sunday standing on a hill in <laughs> southwest London, peering through trees. This sounds like a cry for help. I'm really. <laughs> it's actually a, a it's actually a, a, a piece for about the, the redevelopment of Stamford Bridge. But um, I might just I might just leave it at that and see. It's it's so surreal. And and yes, I I did wonder what the hell I was doing there for various points. But um, yes, um, that 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 piece will go out towards the end of the week, I imagine. Um, and beyond that, uh, take over watch, I guess. Everybody's on it. Uh, other Chelsea content on The Athletic includes Liam's piece on the friendship between Luka Modric and Mateo Kovacic from last week. Well worth a read if you missed that before the game on Tuesday. And David Ornstein's always excellent Monday column has news on Marina Granovskaya and Chelsea's pursuit of the Benfica striker Darwin Nunes. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod. The place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. We'll be back on Thursday. We've got the Champions League to reflect on and the FA Cup semi-final against a certain Crystal Palace, one member of our team with a particular interest in that game. Do join us on Thursday if you can. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. The Athletic.